0: Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The following program presents principles designed to promote good health and is not intended to take the place of personalized professional care. The opinions and ideas expressed are those of the speakers. Viewers are encouraged to draw their own conclusions about the information presented. Welcome to Healthy Living. I'm your host, Margot Marshall. There are many factors that literally reshape our brain, which in turn reshapes our behaviour and the quality of our lives. Today, Dr. Eddie Ramirez will be talking about the powerful effect of social relationships on what is called neuroplasticity. Amazing to realise that consciously or unconsciously, our social environment is reshaping our brains and our lives. I think you'll be fascinated to hear the insights about this research from our guest, Dr. Eddie Ramirez. Welcome, Eddie, we're very privileged to have you here to share your research with us.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here again in Australia, one of my favorite places on earth.
0: (laughs) You're only saying that because it's true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be talking about today about a fascinating subject that I have a lot of passion for that. In fact, I was just talking to somebody uh, in Finland. I was doing a seminar there uh, last week and... uh, we were having this uh, uh, case, this uh, little girl that was born not able to walk because her leg was in constant spasm. And some of the physicians said uh, what this girl needs is a surgery and cut off the tendon and try to straighten up things. But some neuroscientists uh, decided to uh, challenge that. And through neuroplastic exercises, I saw that girl with my own eyes. That girl is walking today. Fascinating. That how
0: is incredible how to think the about.
1: brain is able to change. And the good news is that this not only happens on children, adults will continue to change. And as I tell my my patients, the brain can and will change.
0: That is just incredible. I didn't know it would be taken that far to actually avoid surgery just by what's going on in the brain. I know there's an intimate connection between the brain and the body.
1: But that exceeds anything I'd ever heard of. So please tell us some more. Yes. Uh, so there's many things that have an influence over our mental health and over our, those changes that are neuroplastic inside of us. So today I want to explore a fascinating um, subject, which is how our social environment has an impact over our mental health. And it's important to understand that the environment that we put around us does have a positive effect. And, you know, I travel very much. I've been, what, 69 countries on this planet.
0: And I think you've been to quite (laughs) a few in the last couple of months.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) I don't know how you do it, to be honest.
1: (laughs) I can transition the the time zones just like that. Uh, But something I notice is that many of these countries that are becoming very secularized, As society is changing that is having an effect on the mental health of the inhabitants of those societies and maybe economy wise things are doing good but sometimes as things change they may not change in the right direction Uh, for example in the old days everybody had good social interactions Uh, people were more social with their neighbors and so forth uh, Today, there's more of an independent uh, spirit. Yes, you know your neighbor and you say hi, but have you ever sit down with him and had dinner with them and, and get to know them more deeply and so forth? Uh, customs like uh, going to a a church service and so forth in the old days. And everybody in Australia, for example, and New Zealand used to go to a church that was just part of the culture, part of the custom and so forth. You would have social interactions with others and uh, talk about the events of the week and so forth. But today, as many of those institutions are broken down, there is a lot of lonely people around us, and that has implications in their mental health.
0: Yes, and and sometimes people can be very lonely when they're in company. They sit there with their little phones. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) They're out at lunch, and they're just on their phones, and they're talking to each other. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't know who they're talking to really, but so not speaking to each other, it's very,
1: very different. There's lots of truth mm. with that. See, there's experiments mm. have been done. For example, an experiment that was done with rats, they got these rats and they put them in social isolation. They put each of those rats in different cages, in a dark uh, basement, no light, no toys for them to play, in. When they put these rats with the option of morphine or water, these rats voluntarily started choosing the morphine as a way to try to escape from the horrible reality in which they were. Now, there was a second part of the experiment. They got those rats out of those cages and they put them outside in something that simulated. Like uh, country living. Uh, it was open space, they could run, they could establish friends, they could establish families, and started to uh, have a, a type of uh, exercises for them to, like the little ball that you run on them and so forth. So, a fairly normal environment. That's right, a fairly normal environment for a rat. And once those rats that had been addicted to morphine, they put them in this new environment, fascinating thing happened. When they put them to choose between the morphine and the water, the rats voluntarily chose the water.
0: Isn't that incredible? And by now they might have even had a form of addiction or any.
1: That's right. They had established addictive behaviors. And this is what happens. Your habits create pathways in your head. As I tell my patients, it's like a, a, a grass field. In the grass field, if you start walking in a certain place, you will start creating a path. And if you come back to that grass field, you would rather choose to walk in that grass field than in, 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 that, in that pathway in the grass, instead of walking in the grass by themselves. Like a default. That's right. Yeah. So in the same way, at the level of your brain, the things that you repeat will start creating pathways. So your brain will choose by default to walk in those pathways, your thoughts and behaviors. That's what happened to these rats. These rats established addictive behaviors and it became natural for them to use that morphine. But now as we change the environment, the rats change.
0: Wow, so those pathways in the brain that you're talking about Are they as literal as the pathways in the lawn?
1: They are. As the neurons create connections to one another, certain connections get strengthened. And the good news is that as a grass field that has a path, if I stop walking in that path, the grass will start growing again. In the same way, those brain connections that have been strengthened by inheritance or by the environment, they can... Uh, be broken down and new behaviors be established. That's why there's hope for people like with addictions and so forth. Even though the addiction may be very well established it is possible for that pathway to uh, break away and create a new one.
0: And that's what you're talking about in terms of neuroplasticity. It's a bit like having some plasticine or play-doh and it reshapes. That's right. It literally Reshapes. That's right.
1: Correctly.
0: This is is fairly recent, isn't it?
1: Yeah, this is something fairly recent. One of the leaders in this movement is Mm -hmm. Dr. Mm Bakirita. Bakirita, his father, when he was small, before he was a doctor, his father had a massive stroke and it left him paralyzed, unable to speak and so forth. The doctor said, we're sorry. This is the way that your father is going to stay for the rest of his life. But Bakirita and his brother say, no, we don't believe this. We believe something must be done. So they put his father to crawl like a dog and um, to stimulate him so that he can start uh, creating change inside. The The neighbors were shocked to see the way they were treating this poor old man, but they continued doing it. Very soon, not only he was crawling, he started to walk. Very soon, he was able to sit down at the dinner table. He was eating, and he would drop the plates and would break them. Well, they get him metal plates, and they keep on stimulating him. Very soon, he was up and walking. He was able to remarry. He was able to, uh, to continue his job. And he died not secondary to that stroke, but of a heart attack climbing a mountain.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's incredible, isn't it? To think that they didn't expect him to ever be able to walk. That's right.
1: And Uh, what Dr. Bakirita said, you know, this is so interesting. This is what I need to do with my life. So he went to medical school. He became a neurologist. And by the time he became a neurologist, that's when his dad died. And he thought, well, probably my dad had a small stroke, so I'm going to check his brain. So he ordered an autopsy on his father's body. And to his surprise, he realized that 90% of the connections between the brain and this movement areas of his body had been broken as a result of the stroke. 90%. So how could the brain be able to readapt so that he can walk? That's neuroplasticity. And how does that happen?
0: How how does that happen?
1: The areas that are dead, secondary to a stroke, you cannot do anything. But the areas that are alive can change and they can learn how to... Uh, re-educate so they can take over those areas that had been dead and in that way new connections are built and he's able then to start moving and so forth.
0: Eddie, tell us more about this Dr. Baccarita.
1: So Dr. Baccarita, based on the experience that he had with his own father, then started bucking off that old assumption that the brain is set and cannot be changed. So he joined uh, Wisconsin University in America and started designing these fascinating devices to train the brain for different conditions. For example, uh, blind people, they cannot use their eyes anymore, but he realized that the skin uses the same pathways in the brain as the eye. So, he designed this little um, device that he, he put in the patient's mouth, and it had a camera. So, the camera would capture the image. It would send that image to the tongue, and that little device would draw the contour of what the camera was seeing. So, the person learned to see with their tongue. Fascinating thing, isn't it? That is <laughs> quite amazing <laughs> <And> <laughs> to see with their tongue. So just, oh. And beautiful. another thing that he also designed, uh, there was this lady that took uh, medication for, um, for an infection and that damaged the vestibular system, is called what gives you the equilibrium in the body. So she couldn't stand up. Uh, even sitting down, she would be uncomfortable. She couldn't work. She couldn't do anything. And she, the doctor said, oh, we're well, sorry. That's the way that you're going to stay for the rest of your life. And Bakirita heard about that. And what he did, he designed,